Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranla, called but of a gun put into the back of your skull, that's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm Not Here to Hurt You, a brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. How old do you need to be to start a tech company that investors will take seriously? 27? 23? 20? Today we're talking to a couple of young Irish tech founders who are making waves at a very young age. Greg Tarr is 18 and the CEO and founder of a startup called Infrex that specialises in artificial intelligence and has raised 1.25 million euro. Sean Finnegan is 20 and is currently raising money for his e-receipt software company, Receipt Relay. Greg, Sean, thank you very much for coming to today's podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Greg, you're the CEO and founder of Inforex, but people might know you from winning the BT Young Scientist competition this year for a project on detecting deepfakes. Just before we go into uh, Inforex, can you briefly remind us, briefly, what that was and whether anything has happened with that research? Yeah, so deepfakes are synthetic media that people can create of other people uh, that can influence like democracies and fake news and things like that. My project was essentially optimizing uh, current state-of-the-art methods of detecting those deepfakes to prevent the spread uh, of them and misinformation. And do you know, has anything happened with that research? Has anybody taken it up or um, have we moved any further on the, the problem with deep deepfakes? Yeah, it's a highly active field of research. And like pretty much by the time I had finished the project, uh, there was already better methods of doing it. Um, and I did I did keep it up for a few months after that, but then eventually just decided to focus on my business. Okay, very good. So now you're the CEO and founder of Infrex. Just give us a very brief description of what that company does. Right. So to an engineer, I'd say Infrex automates AI infrastructure. But what that essentially means is that we kind of want AI startups to focus on the value proposition uh, w- uh, that they're trying to provide, which is like the AI, and not focus on the 80% of, of the, the rest of it, which is like normally infrastructure-related thing, things like doing APIs and uh, servers and, and management and orchestration. We automate all of that away uh, okay. so that you can focus on that 20%. For our less intelligent listeners, I'm not suggesting our listeners aren't intelligent, but for people like me, um, can you give us a practical example as to how that might work or a typical case study or scenario where your technology might be deployed? Right. Um, I, I'd say I'd say it's, it's probably better by, uh, by using, uh, I guess, an analogy. Um, so it, it, it would be very difficult to get from A to B uh, in a car if the roads hadn't been built yet. 
And currently, AI startups, if they want to get from A to B, which it might be like solving a problem, uh, they wouldn't just have to build the thing that drives their business, which is the car. They would also have to build from scratch the whole road network uh, to get from A to B. And what we're doing is we're building uh, that sort of infrastructure in the tech space for AI. And that's our mission, is to, to accelerate the global impact of AI. Okay, and you've raised 1.1 million euro, so obviously one, investors... One and a quarter now, yeah. One and a quarter, so yeah. it's gone up. It has indeed. Okay, so obviously investors and the industry are taking you seriously. Yeah, they, they love, they love uh, I suppose they're, they're basic, they're trying to match patterns uh, and young founder with a big goal and ambition and uh, and cool tech is sort of matches all three criteria for investment. Okay, and you know, no pressure at all, but previous BT Young Scientist winners include Patrick Collison, Shane Curran. Uh, no pressure though? Yeah, no pressure at all. No, I I mean, I'm good friends with Shane Curran and mm. and uh, we get along well and I, I, like I see myself in, in the, those sort of shoes and that mindset, so. Fingers crossed okay. for the next Collison's. Fingers crossed. Um, Sean, you uh, set up Receipt Relay. Can you briefly explain what that is? Yeah, so Receipt Relay is a digital receipts software for businesses in retail and hospitality. Essentially, what happens with us is that we plug our software into these businesses. And once it's there, they no longer have to print paper-based receipts. It's all digitized. And it opens up a channel of communication between them and the consumer after the sale. So that can drive wholesale revenue. Okay. Um, it sounds like that might be something that a number of companies or developers could set up. I see QR receipts all over the place for things like menus in restaurants. What do you think are the, might the barriers to competition be? What would make Receipt Relay stand out compared to somebody else who might try and code something like that up? So for us, we've chosen the kind of the, the long path, taking the scenic route to market. Um, for a lot of our competitors, they go a hardware route where they install terminals that generate these unique QR codes that you just scan and then you get your e-receipt. But for us, it's all software based. So we integrate our software with the actual point of sale, which means we have to go a roundabout way and integrate with the point of sale provider. But since we're going that kind of longer path, it also means that we're a much more scalable product at the end of the day because we all have access to every single point of sale that's on that provider's platform. So by simply integrating with one point of sale provider, we could have access to a thousand merchants across Ireland. Okay. And you're currently raising money at the moment. We might talk about that in a few minutes, but one of your pitches to merchants and shops is that, as you say, it's a way for them to keep in touch with customers. It does strike me that at the moment we're in an area where everybody seems to be freaked out by shops um, keeping in touch yeah. with them uh, using email uh, uh, and that kind of stuff. Is is that an issue or how, how do you get over that? Yeah, so like, I suppose an example I could use was uh, when I was buying the webcam that I'm currently using now, I had to give my email address. So I had to call out my email address letter by letter and then the cashier got it wrong. So I had to call it out again, um, which is a bit of a pain point for consumers. But the big issue there is the fact that I have to give away my email address and that's private data that I'd rather not give away because if I was to get a paper-based receipt, I wouldn't have to give that information. So with Receipt Relay, once you scan that QR code, once you've connected and gotten your e-receipt, all of the data that that merchant has to communicate with you post-sale is anonymized. So the only thing they know about you is your user ID and when you came into their store. So that's all they have, um, opposed to using an email address, phone number, um, where you live, anything like that. 
Okay, great. Okay, well, listen, it, they both sound like very interesting companies. I want to get on to the topic of age. Um, Greg, you were the youngest person in, on the Sunday Independence 30 under 30 list. You're 18. Um, how do you find being taken uh, seriously by investors? Obviously, it's not a massive issue as you've currently raised 1.25 million euro. But what are the pros and cons of being young when you're uh, founding a tech company? Yeah, the, uh, I'd, I'd expect it to be very difficult, um, but actually there's definitely more pros than there are cons, or at, le- or at least the the quality of the pros is much higher. So, well, I mean, one of the cons is that it's difficult um, for people to take you seriously. Um, investors, not so much, or at least the right type of investors, not so much. Um, but in terms of like hiring, we're hiring at the moment and, and going through those interviews, I'm hiring people with like, some of them have like four years of postdoctoral experience in AI, which is a field I like. And there's no way I'm, you know, on paper, you know, more more qualified or more experienced than them. Uh, and I have to somehow, you know, convince them to join the company. Um, normally what I find is that the people I want to hire don't have that as a as a, a problem. And, you know, they don't have a problem working for an 18-year-old. So it's a good filter. But how, how do you bring it? anything to bear with relatively limited experience you could say the same for anybody who hasn't hired people before i guess but you're 18 and you're interviewing somebody who's four years postdoctoral sort what kind of terms of reference do you even bring to bear what do you ask them how do you make a judgment call on whether they would be a good hire or not right um i um, so i actually probably have more industry experience than they do at that point um so i i can and i've come up with some new interview techniques that help me ascertain whether they're actually qualified for a production grade environment um but in terms of like you know showing them so they tend to try and dumb things down uh mm. for me and i just say outright like listen i i've been doing programming since i was seven i've been doing ai since i was 12. Uh, I've read like probably over 500 academic papers by now. Uh, let's dive into your master's thesis and and let's see, you know, what you've done. Um, How long does an interview take? 30, 30 minutes is the screening call, and then and then an hour for what we call a documentation interview. Okay, okay. Uh, and you say you've come up with some interview techniques. Have you just described what that is, or is uh, there anything else particular? Oh yeah, no. So that that's that's normal stuff, just going into people's background. But uh, mm-hmm. in in the documentation interviews, essentially, I have about uh, eight or nine thousand lines of code as a code base, just that I wrote a few years back. Um, and we go. I've removed all documentation, all explanation of what that is, and I ask them to explain it back to me as if I'm a junior engineer. And so it's testing their ability to read large sums of code and articulate that. Uh, and it, it's just you can pack a lot more information, a lot more code in uh, than watching them write over their shoulder. Over their shoulder. Do you ever find you may not, in terms of the volume of people you may have come across, it may not be huge. But I was going to ask, do you ever get a negative? reaction to that type of approach to, to that interview yeah yeah uh, so i don't get negative uh re- i don't get ne- negative feedback but what i do get is them struggling uh so i'd say probably 20 or 15 percent of the candidates who get to that stage are capable of of actually properly articulating it and the ones that can really do it are super qualified for the job and it seems to be a really clear indication. I actually created the interview process before we hired some people. And so I made them while after after hiring them for like weeks, redo the interview to see to test whether it was too hard and they passed it with flying colors. So it, it's, you know, a good interview. 
How many people do you have now? Uh, about five or six. Uh, I mean, we're ju- we're just behind or hired someone, so I guess five and a half. Um, but we also have a whole bunch of contractors and network specialists on the data center side of things, so that it kind of could go up to like ten or twelve. It depends how you count. Sean, how about you? You're twenty. I think you're still in college um, as well. How do you find the age factor when it comes to dealing with uh, the industry, the outside world, potentially with investors? I think it's very similar to what Greg just said. Of there's some large pros and cons, but in terms of accessibility to the industry, I think that's a huge con being or a huge pro, sorry, of being young, just because people are a lot more likely to have a conversation with a student or somebody that's you know between 18, 25, 26, just because they they tend to see themselves as a younger version than you, and looking at how you know they approach these problems when they were younger, did they get the mentorship? Did they not? And they're happy to give that guidance if they can. So mm. we, we've always found it very, um, very, we've always found people very approachable, like even dropping a cold mail or, or hitting someone up on LinkedIn saying, hey, like, this is what we're trying to do. <clears throat> we're like not qualified to hire you, but um, if you could give us 30 minutes of your time, it'd be brilliant. Have you heard the news? The Irish Independent has a new podcast. Thousands of people who work in the events industry are making more noise than ever. But are they being listened to? 20 minutes, five days a week, the Indo Daily takes you beyond the headlines and into Ireland's most talked about stories. Two gangs, 18 people killed, families torn apart. The Indo Daily podcast, available on Spotify, Apple, independent.ie and wherever you get your podcasts. I've often heard it said about Ireland in particular in the tech industry here that there is a decent sense of community in that regard, particularly heard from young entrepreneurs. Maybe you might sort of comment now on whether you have found that to be the case, that if you uh, call somebody up, even if they're a successful uh, entrepreneur, even a high profile one, they, they're more likely to give you time if they if they think you're, you know, a young startup try, trying to to make your way in the world, yeah, like absolutely. Um, as you said, Ireland's such a small community, and I'm from the west of Ireland, so it's an even smaller community. Mm. So you have your six degrees of <coughs> separation in in most um, <coughs> in most places in life, but in Ireland, I'd say it's even smaller than that. Like mm. as soon as you know someone, as soon as you have a foot in the door, um, an introduction that can be made, people are so likely to help you. And to be fair, I don't think. Over the two years that we've been doing Receipt Relay, I don't think there's ever been a single circumstance or case where somebody said, no, I'm not giving you my time. People mm-hmm. have always said, yeah, cool, let's hop on for a 30-minute call and let's see what we can do. Greg, how have you found that? I mean, from talking to you now, I get the sense that you have been engaged at a fairly deep level in AI in your particular sector for many years now. Um, so do, would you still gain the same benefit potentially from calling up you know, a, a senior AI, uh, you know, company executive here in Ireland or abroad for, for the same purpose? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I, I've got the experience uh, in, in terms of the tech, but I don't have the network that goes along with that, uh, as you would if you were pursuing a normal career. Uh, so it, it like networking is a, a thing you have to pretty much over-optimize for early on. And I managed to do that. And it's like, nobody's going to say no to a call with an 18-year-old that says like, you know, I'm doing stuff in AI. So I just took advantage of that early on. And uh, it, now I know a whole bunch of people in Ireland and, and abroad. Yeah. And you you have a little bit more time to focus on this as a essentially a full-time CEO, right? Because you didn't go to college. Uh, I dropped out of high school to do this. Yeah. Oh, you dropped out of high school. Yeah. Oh, so you, you didn't sit your leaving cert. 
Um, I, so I didn't sit it, no, but I, I think they gave me points uh, regardless. I, I'm not really sure. That was nice of them. Yeah, <laughs> COVID, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pros and cons. Um, so that was a, a conscious choice you have obviously made not to go to, uh, to third level. Why did you make that decision? A waste of time. Okay. I got job offers for, I think the largest one was 200,000 a year, uh, before I decided to start the business. And I, I used that as leverage against my parents going like, why would I go to college to get a job? Oh, but here's a job offer before college. So mm -hmm. problem solved. And, and was that on the back of the BT Young Scientist win? It was. Yeah. Wow. So you win the BT Young Scientist and then you start fielding job offers, some of them six figures. Yeah. Okay. Remind me to enter the BT Young Scientist. It's worth uh, although it. Although I'm not young anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, so because I mentioned that there was no pressure on you, given Patrick Collison and Shane Current, of course, Patrick Collison dropped out of college. Both the Collisons dropped out of college. I think John frequently says he hopes to return to finish his degree at some point. Um, but for something like AI, I mean, you're talking about postdoctoral uh, candidates for, for jobs earlier on. It does strike me that some of the universities and some third level courses go pretty deep into that sort of stuff and, and provide an environment where you have the luxury to go very deep in in some uh, context, but obviously you, you don't think that in the context of building a company, it's worth the time. Um, not even in the context of building uh, a company. I you know I I'd, I'd already done five years of my own research by the time I was about to go off to college uh, or making the decision, and and that five years was a a lot more focused and dedicated than any uh, academic uh, pers uh, pursuance could. Mm -hmm. uh, could go into. So I, I probably, it would take me until doing, you know, at least my master's thesis, which would be six years down my line uh, until I could do something like that I hadn't pretty much done before. Uh, but it would, I, I had to make the decision. It was difficult because there's a lot of foundational knowledge that I probably missed out on along the way, but like it hasn't been a problem yet. And have you found that this has taken precedence in your life over other things? I mean, maybe you're not going to make the the county hurling team, if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, it's definitely been a focus for as long as I can remember is to like become an entrepreneur. I didn't know it was going to be this early. I was planning to kind of mumble my way through college and then drop out like a normal uh, entrepreneur. But uh, I, it's the opportunity presented itself. And so I had to experience a lot of growth, uh, you know, earlier. Okay. And how about you, Sean? You're, you are in college. Um, I am. Do you, do you kind of have what a layman might regard as a balanced life or are you completely focused on this? Uh, well, hopefully none of my lectures are watching, but uh, no, it's, it's not so, it's not so balanced these days. Um, the kind of running joke in receipt relay is that like there's two baskets and all of my eggs are in one of them at the moment, mm -hmm. um, which mm -hmm. is not necessarily the academic side of things. Like I've got exams coming up in 13 days, um, but like I've got a million other things to do before then. Maybe Greg can share with you his uh, technique for getting points. Yeah, that could be helpful. I, I'm the least qualified person to get you uh, points, yeah. <laughs> and do you ever, I, I've mentioned the issue of age now for the last five or 10 minutes. One thing that does strike me um, in Ireland, do you, ever, do you ever find it patronizing when people 
ask what you're doing and they don't really know what to say to you and they say something like, oh, isn't that nice for you? And do you enjoy it? Um, does is that ever, do you ever kind of think to yourself sort of silently, look, I'm actually out there building a proper company. This is not some sort of joke or, or toy enterprise. I would say that, uh, I would say that starting out, I just didn't bother explaining to anyone. I think it was just, even starting out, like I probably couldn't have even articulated it to myself. I, I sort of had an idea as to where I wanted to go with it, but I knew there was a lot of stuff to be done before I would be able to even write down three things, receipt relays, hoping to achieve in the next five years. Uh, whereas now, gaining a little bit more traction and, and further validation, both personally and market-wise, it's a lot easier to articulate it to people. And it's not so much me now trying to explain it. It's more so people asking me, you know, what is it you're doing, man? And, uh, you know, sounds pretty cool. And mm. yeah, it's it's at an interesting point now where it's it's getting exciting. How about you, Greg? Um, yeah, I I kind of all of the people I was explaining to uh, were either investors or engineers, um, and so I didn't have to really nail home the uh, the normal side of of pitching the company. Uh, I probably still haven't nailed that, but I I just kind of say I'm I'm in the tech space at this point. Okay, what I'm gonna wrap up by asking you both what you expect to happen in your uh, businesses over the next couple of years. Greg, I'll start with you. What what do you hope to see happen with Infrex in the next couple of years? Uh, we grow out a product that uh, thousands of AI companies use to build thousands of cool AI products. Um, and then we end up uh, expanding horizontally across the, the, the space to build more products that can help people uh, uh, grow their business and, and then eventually use that ourselves to get out into a bunch of different industries and grow in those as well. Okay. And how about you, Sean? Uh, hope to see Receipt Relay really establish itself in Ireland, take off and become the go-to solution for e-receipts and for, for vendors that don't have that loyalty scheme platform and, and would like to opt for it, that are you know eco-conscious and both kind of privacy conscious, and then expand UK, Europe, US, Asia, essentially bring it, bring it worldwide. Mm -hmm. Okay, super. Um, listen, I'd like to thank you both very much for coming on the podcast. It's been a very interesting uh, conversation for me. I've learned quite a bit. I'll be following your companies uh, over the next year or two with an, an awful lot of interest. So that is all we have time for uh, this week, folks. From me, my thanks to Sean Finnegan and to Greg Tarr for joining us. But from me, Adrian Weckler, the tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent, I'll talk to you the same time next week. Bye-bye. Have you heard the news? The Irish Independent has a new podcast. We're not in the fairy tale business as journalists. We're in the truth business and the question were there. 20 minutes, five days a week, the Indo Daily takes you beyond the headlines and into Ireland's most talked about stories. So 25 years on, people are absolutely fascinated again with this case. The Indo Daily podcast, available on Spotify, Apple, independent.ie and wherever you get your podcasts.